Great Bible Reset is a podcast devoted to counteracting the great economic reset of Klaus Schwab using Bible lessons and theory. Thank you to Boomers-Alive.com for sponsoring this podcast and the Kingsway Classical Academy. This week, we are continuing our study on the great books of Western civilization and their effect on our current economical and spiritual crisis. And now your host, Oliver Woods. Welcome, everybody, to GreatBibleReset.com. Today is Bible Analysis Day as it applies to the Politocraticus of John of Salisbury. My name is Oliver Woods, and our theme is the one and only thing that will deliver us from the wrath of God, that being a covenant recommitment to his law in the personal and political spheres. So let's think about Politocraticus in terms of the most basic principles of biblical law, which is restitution. The victim must be compensated by the offender with a judge presiding to ensure impartiality. The principle extends beyond the determination of guilt or innocence to the penalty itself. Breaking a commandment without a penalty is a sin, but not a crime. God alone defines and specifies the terms of criminal justice in the eye-for-eye principle of equity in Exodus 21-24. through Man-made penalties are typically either too harsh or too lenient. For example, the death penalty for stealing a horse in the American Old West or cutting off the hand of a pickpocket. This is what uh, we lost at the Battle of Hastings in 1066. And um, here's a quote that uh, describes the difference between pre-1066 Battle of Hastings and uh, post-1066 in in England. Um, Quote, in in Anglo-Saxon times, the guilty party had to compensate the victim or his relatives. But the Normans changed that in cases of felony. If the defendant lost, he was immediately hanged or mutilated, usually by ex, um, exoculation. His land is cheated to his feudal lord, and his chattels were forfeited to the king. So failure to comply this basic principle of justice as defined by the Bible lies at the heart of God's great controversy with Western civilization and, and, and the United States of America. Here's a quote from Micah 6.16. It says, The statutes of Omri... And all the works of the house of Ahab are observed, and in their devices you walk. Therefore, I will give you up for destruction. So we've got all these devices that are um, um, more or less neutralizing the law of God uh, in our experience. And therefore, it says God will give us up for destruction. Biblical law is relatively simple compared to the complex maze of legalistic rules and regulations that have built up like barnacles on a boat over the course of two millennium in the West. Exodus 12.49 says, One law shall be for the native-born and for the stranger who dwells among you. End of quote. But instead of the Bible's one law, we have found a nearly unending parade of legal systems, uh, natural law, common law, administrative law, canon law, sociological law, to name but a few. The only antidote for this human tendency toward legalism is constant return to the simplicity of the biblical case law principle. And here's what it might look like. The uh, papal revolution of 1075 to 1122 resulted in a secular state divorced from the church and all accountability to the law of God. From that day to this, Western civilization has been plagued by a plurality of secular law codes. Now, here's a more lengthy um, list. These include Roman law, common law, natural law, canon law, 
ecclesiastical law, a penitential law, corporation law, constitutional law, feudal law, manorial law, mercantile law, urban law, <laughs> royal law, historical law, positive law, case law, equity law, administrative law, bureaucratic law, procedural law, and sociological law, among others. <laughs> Did I leave anything out? Well, as these law codes have evolved over time and are altered by violent revolution, they've grown progressively more remote from the Bible and despotic. Like Gulliver, in Gulliver's Travels, we find ourselves bound down tight by Lilliputians in a legalistic and litigious society. This plurality of evolving legal systems, ultimately competing with and eclipsing biblical law, lies at the heart of God's great controversy um, God's great controversy with Western civilization. So all of history is the story of Christ and his church battling it out in mortal combat against the devil and his kingdom of darkness. This battle has been won by Christ and his death, resurrection, and ascension to the throne of his kingdom, and now we're engaged in a mopping up operation. If you want two-kingdom theology, this is the real two-kingdom theology. It's not what John of Salisbury and Luther taught that the church and family are the spiritual kingdom of God and a civil magistrate is lord of the secular kingdom and thus free to make up his own laws as he goes along based on so-called natural law. No, that the true two-kingdom theology is rooted in Revelation 11:15. At the sounding of the seventh trumpet, it says, where, quote, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. End of quote. So there's your two kingdoms. That happens at the same time as the two witnesses, which are Moses and Elijah, seemingly lay dead in the streets of Jerusalem, where also their Lord was crucified. And it also happened at the same time when Mary gave birth, and a great sign appeared in heaven. The great dragon was thrown down, a serpent of old, who is called Devil and Satan. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and power and the kingdom of our God and authority of his Christ have come, for the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down. So there's your two-kingdom theory. The Bible requires only one biblical law code and one legal system, which are to be applied equally to citizen and foreigner alike and to all spheres of life, church and state, one law. There's to be one law and one ordinance for you and for the alien who sojourns with you. That's Numbers 15:16. Even as Luther burned the canon law of the church, at some because it was extra biblical, um, at this at some point soon we've got to start over and build from a biblical law foundation, never departing from, always returning to, the biblical case law principle. Now here's the here's the basic features of such a law. Here's an example of, of homicide, based on the, the the Ten Commandments: "Thou shalt not kill." Now the case law principle related to that simple um, commandment is he who uh, quote he who strikes a man so that he dies shall surely be put to death but if he did not lie and wait for him but God let him fall into his hand then I will appoint you a place to which he may flee if however a man acts presumptuously toward his neighbor so as to kill him craftily you are to take him even from my altar that he may die and that's Exodus 21 12 through 14 so my recommendation, you know, as we begin to rebuild this, um, our, law, our law code 
in terms of biblical law is that the very first page would have nothing but those two things, the commandment of God, which thou shalt not kill, and then the case law principle. Then that would make sure that whatever comes afterwards, we would always be returning to this touchstone of the biblical commandment and the statutory application. And then following that is our integration, our statement of the law, which we have to do because often there's um, there's numerous passages, numerous Bible passages referring to the same idea. So for homicide, uh, we might have something like this. Um, homicide, a judgment for homicide may only be rendered after diligent inquiry, due process, and a testimony of at least two witnesses. Witnesses may be human or a non-human line of evidence, such as we find in Genesis 4.10. Human and witnesses must be involved in the execution process, and the execution must follow as soon as practicable after conviction. So that exemplifies um, life before 10, uh, the Battle of Hastings in 1066 with Alfred the Great, and to some extent um, Charlemagne. Not perfectly, but that's that it was closer to that in those days. Now, after 1066, we have the Norman invasion. We have Norman law being introduced. And um, John of Salisbury brought the Bible in, but just one authority among many going straight to the fountain, instead of going straight to the fountainhead of biblical authority. Now, I've got six points here that summarize this, and I'll just go through them one at a time as kind of a summary. One is that these ten words and ordinances are a package deal and they're called, God calls them the Book of the Covenant in Exodus 24-7. And, and the Ten Words of the Ten Commandments and the ordinances are the three chapters of, um, of ordinances that follow that. Uh, for example, when you steal one sheep, you've got to pay back two sheep, that kind of thing. So you can't have the Ten Commandments. We can't accept the Ten Commandments and throw out these ordinances because God says they're a package deal called the Book of the Covenant. Okay, point two, Exodus 20 through 24 is the foundation of true Christian nationalism. The recent book trying to build Christian nationalism on natural law philosophy is just another doomed attempt that's going to keep us sidetracked for that much more time that we don't have and we can't afford. Point number three, not all laws are crimes. Exodus 22:21 to Exodus 23:9 provide cultural guidelines and attitudes that are enforced by God himself without a, a, a penalty that makes them a crime. Okay, not all laws are crimes. Number four, strangers or rev resident non-believers must be protected in the Christian Republic on pain of divine judgment if they are not. Okay, and it's very strong in that. It's in that section on um, the um, the non um, that God Himself enforces. Okay, okay. Number five, God will accept gradualism, or God may accept gradualism. It's, it says in um, Exodus 23. By little and little I will drive them out from before you, lest the beast of the field be multiplied against you. Okay, so ideally, I think the whole nation, like with, the, with Nineveh, when the king, the, the king of Nineveh proclaimed the, the new law after Jonah's preaching, that would be ideal. But it may not be possible in some, in some cases, perhaps our own case, but God will accept, God may accept gradualism, where we, we take it one law at a time, we do what we we do what we just described, you know, with the the, the ten commandment and the the case law um, application, and then finally number six, mercy is built into the capital punishment laws with the possibility of repentance and monetary ransom. Looking ahead to the cross with the consent 
with the consent of the victim, except for premeditated murder. And this is found in Exodus um, 20, I believe it's Exodus 21, right after the Ten Commandments, um, where it talks about the ransom. If a man's bull, uh, he t- I was told to, a man was told to keep his bull in for goring, and he didn't do it, and the, and the, and the bull killed somebody, that was, it's, it's not premeditated murder, but it's, it's accidental murder, it's murder by negligence. And um, so it um, could be, in, in, in lieu of the, of, the, of the death penalty, they could provide a monetary substitute. <clears throat> so these are important principles that we'll be looking at in more detail as we go on in the weeks ahead. And we'll see you again tomorrow for an interview that explores this in much more detail. And in the meantime, I'd invite you to visit our longevity store at uh, boomers-alive.com. Pick up some great deals on high-quality supplements. Uh, buy one, get two free. Buy one, get three free, and so forth. Or check out the bookstore at kingswayclassicalacademy.com. See you tomorrow. Thank you for listening to today's episode. For more episodes, visit greatbiblereset.com. And to help support the podcast and Kingsway Classical Academy, visit our sponsor at boomers-alive.com. To learn how to get your high school diploma and bachelor's degree on the same day, visit kingswayclassicalacademy.com and save up to $100,000 on college tuition 